Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps blogger and investor, commentator. This is part two of my uh, weekend roundup where I just focus on um, some just general comments on the markets as a whole and interesting macro news items that I've picked up during the week. As I always say every week, I am absolutely not setting myself up to be some sort of economics guru. I'm not. I'm a sort of average, interested commentator, you know, and the macro market stuff is important because that's the backdrop to all our investing really and even if you don't specifically have a macro view by implication you do because if you're very negative about the macro picture you'll be sitting in cash uh, not a bad idea right now I have to say that's been a good uh, strategy for the people who've done that in recent months and um, obviously earning a, a good return now on cash deposits which completely changes risk reward I think for other investments including Shares, you know, you now they, the shares now have competition. Why buy some risky aim share when you can get four or five percent on your cash deposits? I know I say that every week, but it is a it is a really key point. So the main focus this week has been another very difficult week for the for the markets in the UK. Uh, the uh, small caps are still bearing the brunt of it. I noticed the aim index now is barely above the it's roundabout actually the October twenty twenty two lows when we had all that mini budget uh, chaos so really really tough at the moment i think investors in small caps with all sorts of different strategies are, are feeling the pain at the moment so my sympathy is with you i'm certainly um feeling the pain uh to some extent although i'm having a good year because i had a a, a lucky takeover bid of seraphine earlier on in january and the three main stocks i put that money into are all up about 20%. So actually my own personal portfolio is doing really well this year, but it doesn't feel like that because almost on a daily basis, most of the things in my portfolio seem to be just drifting down. There's no liquidity in the market. It's a horrible market. These uh, for small caps especially, which brings me on to a point actually, I love listening to podcasts and particularly where fund managers give their insights. You always hear something um, of interest. And Judith McKenzie did a, a podcast with Paul Hill on Vox, which I listened to, and really, really interesting. Judith uh, it seems to very, very highly regarded, uh, highly performing fund manager, uh, veteran fund manager. I, she, um, she made the point that there's a really now a structural problem with small caps markets in the UK in that there are not many institutions buying below 100 million market cap. Uh, that could be for a variety of reasons. Maybe there's no, there's, there's not enough liquidity for institutions to buy in the market, so they can only really buy from other institutions. Um, and, of course, a lot of these smaller cap funds are probably uh, dealing with redemptions from customers who tend to sell when, um, you know, when performance dips down, uh, uh, probably the point where they should be buying, not selling, but uh, a lot of investors do the opposite of, of what they should be doing in the long run. So if these funds are having to meet redemptions, a lot of them may even be, be forced sellers. And this is really, um, I've noticed this with a lot of small caps, you know, you find that they'll put out some good news, the share price will go up, and more often than not, over the next several weeks, It'll just drift up back down again. I think there, are, there there still seem to be selling overhangs in the market. Maybe that's exacerbated by traders 
who buy things uh, for, for a, a spike up and then sell. And you can't blame them because so many shares I'm looking at in the small cap space are not holding on to the gains. So a strategy of buying on chart breakouts just is not working at the moment, I think. Um, but that's one for the traders. But anyway, Judith McKenzie was saying, you know, real problem, real structural problem in the small caps market. Not, no liquidity and very few institutions that are buying. But that creates our bargains. And, you know, as a value investor at heart myself, um, this sort of stuff is all in a way music to my ears because I don't know when, but at some point in the future, you know, the buys we're making roundabout now are going to look uh, pretty inspired, I, I, I suggest. Sorry about the barking dogs, that's Seamus and Paddy. They've probably seen Thomas the cat out of the front, uh, out of the window by the front door. Also, you might just pick up faint strains of Richard Clayderman tinkling away on the ivories because uh, my housemate here in London likes to play uh, a little bit of light piano music while he's doing the gardening. So there you are, interesting background noises, no doubt. Oh, I should add, with it being a bank holiday weekend, I've just poured myself a large glass of white wine because there was a, a about a third of a bottle left over from last night and um, put a few ice cubes in it. Uh, so you might hear a slight tinkling noise and the slight slurring of my voice. So I'm feeling a bit lightheaded already. I hope that doesn't detract from the overall quality of the uh, podcast. Now, what uh, what to cover next? Oh, really, the big thing for this week is inflation. Now, I mentioned last week that the April data showed that we should, uh, because there was a huge increase in inflation uh, in April 22 of 2.1%, that dropping out of the prior comparative meant that the April inflation numbers uh, should uh, have shown a sharp drop. And I've got the ONS website up in front of me. And indeed, the April um, 2023 inflation figure, 12-month rolling figure, did show a sharp decrease. So the CPI, Consumer Prices Index, uh, was 8.7% annual inflation, April to April, down from 10.1% in March. So dro dropping from 10.1% to 87 is a big drop, as we, everyone was anticipating. Uh, I think 8.4 was expected, so it didn't fall as much as expected. And this is mainly due to a large jump in electricity and gas prices in April 22, dropping out of the out of the comparative. But what's put the kibosh on things is that core inflation actually rose. Now, core inflation, I'm just scrolling down here. So that excludes energy, food, alcohol and tobacco. That rose 6.8%. Uh, in the 12 months to April 23, and that's actually up from 6.2% in March. So 6.2% to 6.8% for core inflation. That went down like a lead balloon with the markets um, because I think it's it, it's clearly indicating that inflation in the UK is looking more persistent. So the people who, who uh, said that were right. Um, and apparently the markets are now expecting peak interest rates of 5.5% uh, compared with 4.8% was the expectation last week. So that's, a, that's according to Hargreaves Lansdowne, who send out a very good email every day, which I always read. So I'm just regurgitating news I've picked up. I'm not putting any particular uh, analysis on any of this, because that's, not, that's beyond my pay grade. 
Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I think that's a lot more bearish, isn't it? I mean, I think peak interest rates of four and a half ish percent, we could probably cope with with expectation of that dropping back down again in 2024. 5.5% peak now by the end of this year. I think that's maybe at a tipping point where that could push us into recession. And isn't it infuriating that Jeremy Hunt just casually says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm relaxed about us going into recession if that's what we have to do to get inflation down. What an idiot. Although, no, I shouldn't say that. He's obviously saying that to pacify the bond markets, isn't he? But it goes down like a lead balloon with uh, the public, I think. It just sounds very complacent. And um, I've never been happy with this idea that you deliberately cause a recession in order to get inflation down, given that we haven't got run a runaway booming economy. Quite the opposite. GDP growth is only 0.1%. The economy is flat lying. We just had inflation mainly because of supply chain shocks combined with too much QE during the pandemic. Both of those factors are now sorting themselves out. So I really, I know I say it every week, but I really feel that the policy is going badly wrong. And um, that really, after this latest crisis, I think they're going to have to change the central bank mandates from just set using interest rate, rates as a sledgehammer to tackle inflation, when actually the, the effect of it is delay. It takes 12, Paul, Paul Jordan was saying this of Amati in a podcast, you know, it takes 12 to 18 months for higher interest rates to, to take effect. And it's going to clobber households who come off their fixed rate mortgages. This is the thing. Uh, in, a, in a sort of rolling domino effect, as more and more millions of households will be hit by higher mortgage payments. And of course, is that actually going to reduce inflation? Because all it's doing is it's triggering landlords to raise rents. So rents are now rising at something like 10%, which of course is inflationary, isn't it? So I don't know. I think the whole thing's a mess. So uh, um, I think, you know, it's just looking like we could be heading into a much more more of a downturn than I previously thought because I think they've just gone too far with the interest rates. So that is a big problem, I think. And it, it is now looking as if inflation is more sticky, but it's still going to be down to about 5% by the year end, apparently. But look, it changes every day, doesn't it? Everything does. I've also put on my pad here, early signs of recession, question mark. I'm thinking here more in terms of company reporting. We've reported on quite a few profit warnings this week, actually, more than usual. Uh, Empresaria, I think, and a couple of other staffing companies have said they're, they're reporting a slowdown. Um, we saw Watkin Jones saying that, which I hold personally, a very small position, which is not going well so far. Um, they're, they're talking about project delays. The business-to-business -business side of things, lots of companies are saying it's getting harder to close deals, customers are deferring, delaying or cancelling projects. All of this looks to me like early early signs of a, of a recession, I'm afraid to say. So my cheerfully upbeat tone in the past was based on the expectation that inflation and interest rates would come down quite rapidly. I think that's uh, it's not looking as if that's going to be the case. But you never know, do you? As I say, these things can all change. Um, a couple of snippets of news I picked up on here. The ONS and The Guardian reports that more young people are now living at home with parents uh, and many have given up on home ownership. Now, this is a, a two-edged uh, thing, isn't it? 
that a lot of those deposits that they saved up, the argument is they're now going to basically say, well, we don't really need those savings. Let's spend. Let's get out there and spend. And I'm certainly seeing that anecdotally looking around. I've been in London for a few weeks now. And I mean, everywhere's busy. Everywhere's busy. The bars, the restaurants. This is the funniest looking recession I've ever seen. People are out there spending and it's it, a lot of it is young people. And we've seen this in the trading updates from the pubs and hospitality sector, which have been quite upbeat. So I think as long as, again, I know I've said this, I say this every week, as long as people have got jobs, and we've got very low unemployment in Britain, only 3.8%, half the level of France, a third the level of Spain, only the Netherlands is lower in, in, in Europe, even Germany has higher unemployment than we do. And I think, I think I read somewhere Germany's just tipped into a recession, whereas the UK hasn't. So, And I'm sick of people putting down the UK. Just because you voted Remain, stop attacking your own country and running it down. We need just a bit of positive energy. Nobody, I don't care how anybody voted in the referendum. Let's just draw a line under it and actually, you know, let's be positive and enthusiastic about this country. It's got so much going for it. I'm sick and tired of people thinking it's clever to be cynical and negative all the time. You know, we, we should be grateful for what we've got. And certainly, you know, the, 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 the support I give to Zane uh, and hearing from, from what's going on in Zimbabwe makes you count every blessing you've got. It really does compared with what life is like in many other countries. So yeah, I remain of the view, because of these various factors, people at the lower end of the wage scale got a 10% pay rise in, in April from the national living wage, um, and a lot of them are living with parents, have given up on home ownership, and so I think are spending quite freely. That's certainly what I'm seeing all around me, and that was what the uh, ONS apparently was saying as well. Now, artificial intelligence, what a fascinating topic. Uh, I've seen what's happened to NVIDIA shares and funnily enough I was talking to Mary at um, and Ian at Mellow who uh, she said that, that uh, she's done terrifically well I think she's saying she's had a, a 20 bagger on NVIDIA shares so awesome work there Mary and um, I don't know what to make of this AI business I think it's just such a hot topic some people are saying that it's becoming a bit of a um, a fad maybe it's gone a bit too far in terms of the investment side of it a bit like uh, you know crypto in its in its heyday are, are the shares now which are perceived to have ai um upside are they going a, a bit crazy and detaching from reality i don't know because i haven't looked at them but i'm totally confused about what ai means for many of the shares i hold um and this ChatGTP thing, I think, is fascinating. Um, I still haven't really worked out what to ask it. I, I fiddle around with it frequently, and sometimes you get uh, surprisingly quite remarkable responses from it. But sometimes it just seems to be a, a load of waffle, where uh, it's just it sounds convincing, um, but uh, it isn't really saying much of substance. So I don't know. Let's see what happens. But certainly. A fascinating topic that's going to really, I think, drive a lot of share price movements uh, over the coming years. Oh, investor short-termism. This is this is a, a general point I'm seeing again. Companies that are saying, look, things are slowing down a bit. Bang! You just get 10, 20, 30 percent drop in the share price. But you're not just buying this year's earnings, are you? You're buying the, a share of the company forever. And I find it remarkable how the market at the moment, the small caps market, nobody seems to be thinking longer term. Everyone's just thinking about short term, current year 
earnings, you know, in a difficult year and, oh, let's mark the shares down, blah, blah, blah. At some point that'll pivot. I don't know when, but at some point that will definitely pivot and people will start saying, well, hang on, the economy is going to start improving soon. Maybe we should look at some of these things for a turnaround. For, I made a small purchase this week of Headlam. Uh, H-E-A-D. Uh, I found a little bit of money knocking around in an ISA that uh, I didn't know I had. Really, you know, very small amount of money. Um, and I thought, oh, I think it's cheap enough now. It's got to a point where I just buy a few of them, rock solid balance sheet. I'll just buy a few of them and, and just leave them there for a few years and see what happens. So I, I do think, again, I think I, I do think I think much longer term than most people in the market. I think the market is full of traders, many who think they're investors, but they're not, they're traders. And look, it doesn't matter. If you make money, if your approach makes money, keep doing more of whatever works for you, as my mentor always says to me. And I think you can't go wrong with that. I actually got the quote right this time. <laughs> But right now, things are painful. You know, it's horrible being in the market in small caps. And it's just one of those patches where a lot of things go wrong. And even even great companies are putting out, you know, if they put out an update that is not ahead of expectations, um, they sell off. You know, it's that's just the way it is. But, you know, when, th when things turn, they can turn very rapidly. So if you've done your research, you know, as I try to do, and if I think the company's got a particularly good balance sheet and can weather this storm that I'm just happy to hold and sometimes I just I, I'm not really interested in somebody was um saying something spiteful about me on ADVFN on the Watkin Jones board and made out I was a complete fool because I told them that I was 20% down on the share and they were talking about it as if it was a big issue it's not you know within a portfolio of however many I've got about 15 or 16 shares at the moment I fully expect three or four of those to be 20, 30% down, which they are. It doesn't matter. You know, you actually, overall, my stock picks for this year, my top 20 watch list, which is vague, loosely linked to my portfolio, but this is what I published in January on Stockopedia, as being these are my top 20 value GARP shares, small caps. That list is currently up, it's still up, it's up 7% year to date, which in a falling market, I'm very pleased with. I think within that list, there have been three profit warnings now, Wing Canton, Quiz and Watkin Jones, which are all down about 30%, which is fine. I, I fully expected that in a year that I knew was going to be difficult, but I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you in January which ones would, would warn on profits. But there are, uh, there are more, about 14 or 15 on the list, that are up a year to date, and some of them up quite significantly. So I think overall, you know, a portfolio approach, you will always have winners and losers within that. And the, the trick is just to look at the individual company circumstances and decide whether it's a sell. I've decided with Watkin Jones I'm not going to buy any more, but it was a tiny position. It's only about 3% of my portfolio, if that. No, less. It's probably 2% now because it's dropped a bit, which is, is not significant either way. And the lower it gets, the closer it gets to net tangible asset value. So it's got that support. For that reason, I'm prepared to just ride it out. So I'll, I'll come back and look at it again in a couple of years' time and see what happens. Um, and you've got to expect some some winners and some losers. You know, I think people who uh, castigate anyone who's made a loss on a share, I think uh, are not in the real world because, particularly in small caps, you will get some wrong. Paul Hill was saying he's done, he's Paul's got a fantastic long term investing track record. He's done phenomenally well. Um, he says he gets sixty percent right and forty percent wrong, and that is doing well. Um, 
I would say long term, I've got a similar hit rate, actually. But certainly in the last year or two, my hit rate's been, been bloody awful. But, you know, you go, you go through bad patches and you regroup and you rebuild. It's just the way it is. You know, you can't let these things get you down or get you stressed. Um, that's why it's important to switch the computer off every now and again and do something different, like go for a nice walk in the, in the bright sunshine and enjoy enjoy friends and family and all the rest of it you know it's i think people are, are poised on their computer constantly agonizing over things that's not that's not a good way to approach it and you won't enjoy the money even when you make it because you're too stressed that's my uh, thing i look back to the patches of my life where i was a multi-millionaire when i'd done well on the shares and was i actually happier no i don't think i was actually some of the happier times were when i was just you know, bumping along the bottom, just, just, you know, doing other things and going for, you know, exercising and spending more time with family and friends. And actually, you know, that's what life's about. So don't get too stressed about the stock market. And these bad patches in the market do pass, uh, often earlier than you expect as well. So that's my little motivational speak for the week, because I, I do think it's important for us to have, as a community, for us to support each other. And if people are struggling, you know, chat to other people and you realise they're doing badly as well. And then it doesn't, <laughs> then you don't feel so bad about your own slumping portfolio. But anyway, um, oh, moving back to inflation. So I noticed that the um, the sharp move up in the UK 10-year gilt, I think it's up to 4.3%. I was just looking at the... Um, comparative figures that's well above um the european the big european economies france and germany anyway are much lower for their 10 year uh, the 10 year bonds government bonds we're about the same as italy italy is about 4.3% as well and we're above the us which is at 3.8% so i wouldn't say those are desperately concerning numbers for 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 uk gilts but because our inflation is proving more stubborn than other countries in the short term anyway that is certainly a, a negative factor for the UK at the moment. No way around it. Oh, just a little bit on the US. I Oh, God, the dogs are off again. Oh, the Fed has signalled that it's now paused, interest rate rises, paused, not pivoted. So the Fed is telling people not to expect any reductions in interest rates, but at least um, it looks as if there aren't going to be any more increases in the US, which by implication probably helps us here, providing our inflation doesn't um, diverge any further from where it is at the moment. Now, as regard mortgage rates, there's a lot of been a lot of very negative press comment about uh, people coming off fixed rates, mortgages, and how difficult it's going to be. And I completely get that. Um, they're based, uh, apparently mortgages are based on swaps prices. And now because the expectation is that peak interest rates will be 5.5%, whereas last week it was 4.8%, as I mentioned earlier, this means that uh, cheap mortgage products are being withdrawn, apparently, and big lenders are starting to increase their rates. So I had a look on Money Supermarket last night. And if you've got a decent deposit, the, the mortgage rates available are still actually quite attractive. For example, I saw a 10-year fixed rate at 4.1%. Well, what's the problem with that? That's not outrageous. That's not going to bankrupt people, is it? Um, I've got a remortgage next year in May. Luckily, they're quite low loan-to-value mortgages. But, um, you know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Do you take a, a discounted rate, which is you're going to be paying not far short of that, actually? A two-year discount rate is about 3.8%. 
Or do you take a 10-year fix at 4.1%? I think I probably want the certainty of the 10-year fix, actually, even if it then means you're going to be paying too much if interest rates come... Are interest rates going to come back down to zero again? Well, if they do, a 5- or 10-year fix will still be about 2 2.5%. So paying 4.1, to me, seems quite a good risk-reward on that, particularly if inflation is going to be more persistent. So I don't know, but the, the mortgage, certainly the mortgages that I saw that are still available now, last night on Money Supermarket, actually still looked reasonably okay. Maybe that is going to change um, as, as rates go up. I don't know. But no reason for immediate panic, I would suggest. Oh, vagueness in trading updates. This is a general moan. Oh, dear. We've had a few this week where... Um, Port Merion is a good example, and also Headlam, both of those I hold personally, where the trading updates were just too vague. And if you put a trading update out, this is a memo to all the brokers, the PR companies, and all the companies, you've got to state whether you are trading in line with market expectations or not. That is the whole point of a trading update. If it doesn't specifically state we are in line with expectations for the full year, or we're tracking ahead, or we're tracking below, you know, or broadly in line, which we all know is a bit below. If, it, if the trading update doesn't say that, tear it up and put it in the bin and start again. There's far too many waffly, imprecise, vague uh, trading updates coming out. And the market kills the share price if you're not specifically saying how the company is performing. We're seeing this, you know, with Port Merion. There was no reason for that share price to fall. It was basically an inline update, but it didn't say we're in line. It just said, oh, slight softness in US orders. And people say, oh, well, that's that means things are turning down. Let's kill the price. And the share price went off 20%. So I'm a bit cross with Port Merion. I think that was really badly handled. Um, and we're seeing a lot of this where company people fear the worst in a bear market. And I wish companies would just sharpen up. And a lot of companies are getting the broker forecast down on the quiet. And then they can then say we're trading in line. So obviously, when you see a company that trades in line, you then go to the stock report on Stockopedia and you look at that little graph that shows uh, the trend of broker forecasts. And you often see they've, they've lowered the forecast 20 or 30 percent. Well, that's the right way to do it. You get the forecasts um, down to a realistic level and then you say, yes, we're trading in line. It's not going to stop the share price falling, but it's the right way to do it. Oh, I must mention David Hornsby. Uh, the uh, retired uh, chap who, who who delivered a massive success with IdeaGen um, a while ago. He sold it right at the peak as well at a really high valuation. And uh, he did, I think, 20 or 25 acquisitions over the year. Didn't seem to put a foot wrong. He never really came through in the numbers as being an opportunity. I remember he invite, David invited me for lunch three or four years ago and said, look, I'm really frustrated that... You know, and the, the the potential of the company never comes through on the Stockopedia metrics and so on. And he did make a very valid point on a couple of things, actually, saying that we were comp historically we used um, unadjusted EPS. But then for the forecast, we used adjusted EPS. And there was a mismatch that I flagged up to the team at head office. So he was spot on on that. Anyway, I had a very nice lunch with David where he explained the business to me. Um, never really got on board with that one. I just couldn't see... Uh, there wasn't really anything the numbers to say to me that, um, you know, this was going to be a rip-roaring multi-bagger, but it was. So it just shows, doesn't it, you know, focusing on the numbers doesn't 
uh, give you the full picture. And I think with shares, it's really just as much of an art as a science. And a lot of it is luck as well. Just uh, backing the right people. David said in his interview with Mello um, on Thursday, absolutely fascinating interview. I won't spoil it, but the key points he made really about how did you create this major multi-bagger. He said basically really simple. We bought things cheap and we got a high rating on our shares. So, and that's a similar thing to what Judges uh, Capital did. And that seems to be the, the key for success with buy and build groups. Buy the right businesses, buy them cheap, uh, David, and, and then, you know, get a growth company rating on your shares. I think SDI is looking interesting again. That's come down quite a lot. That was another one where you've got good management buying good businesses. It's come off quite a bit. I think it peaked at £2. It's down to £1.40, SDI is. I was looking at it last night because of some... Uh, reduction in um, COVID-related orders, which it did flag in advance, although I think it could have quantified it better. Um, it's now down to a forward PE of 16, although I did see there was quite a big loan that had, had appeared on SDI's last balance sheet. But I think that's a good, that might be a, an interesting one to get involved in at some point. Um, yeah, the other, the other interesting point is David Hornsby confirmed what I've always said, which was told to me by John MacArthur from Traxis. He said, you know, do, you know the, the, the broker forecasts are the company's forecasts. And funnily enough, I put that in last week's, that quote in one of last week's small cap value reports. And that's exactly what David Hornsby said. He said, you know, they don't just make, make these figures up or pluck them from thin air. He said they get them from the company and then it's sort of rebranded as being, you know, whichever broker forecast. It's the company's forecast. And David said that in the 10 years or so, I think he ran IdeaGen, they never missed a forecast. And he said, so it's so important if you want a high rating on your shares, set the forecast low and beat them. He was really quite scathing about companies that uh, ignore this and who put out unrealistic forecasts and then miss them by a mile. He, he, David said there's no excuse for that. He said when he invests personally in companies, as he's a private investor himself now, well healed, obviously, from his great success at IdeaGen, he said, you know, he says to management, these forecasts, how... Uh, how confident are you in them? And if they say sixty mm, percent, he said, "Well, that's no good. You're not going to want me around when you miss these numbers, because I'll give you a seriously hard time, and I might have to fire you." You know, he was basically saying, "I want forecasts that you will, you know, you will absolutely commit to, and that you will beat every time." So I think that's a great point. Anyway, if there's a recording of it, I don't know if there is or not. Do listen to that David Hornsby um, interview with David Streder on Mellow. Uh, you know, and, and David's also interviewed some, some fantastic multi-bagging uh, CEOs like David Cicero at uh, Judges Scientific. And they're full of insights. Absolutely fascinating. Oh, interest on cash. This is an interesting fair point. This came through from an email I got from Interactive Investor uh, stipulating what credit interest they're now paying on cash balances. And they were a bit stingy, I have to say. They were well below what they should be paying. But this is important, I think, for anyone with who's doing Forex, has a Forex account, brokerage account, spread betting and so on. These companies should be now paying you interest on your cash deposits. And if they're not, you need to badger them and say, well, hang on. I remember back in the old days when you shorted things through IG or SpreadX or something, you were paid interest on the short position, which is bizarre, isn't it? But that was all abolished when in the zero interest rate environment. Um, and you got and you got cash balance. You got interest on your cash balances. Your other cash balances held with them. So you only ended up paying the spread on the interest cost. You know you were paying maybe seven percent 
implied interest rate on your on your leveraged spread bets, but you've got 4% interest received on your cash. Now, if they're not doing that, they should be. So the clients, and same with the Forex brokers, the uh, Equals and the Argentex and uh, the Alpha FX, those companies are, are coining it in from the large customer cash deposits. Well, those customers are going to be asking for credit interest at some point or demanding it. So I wouldn't rely too much on companies that, that are dining out on uh, interest receipts for customers' cash, because that may start to dwindle as the customers realise that they should be getting um, the lion's share of that interest uh, income. So, And if you're not getting interest, make sure you complain and push to receive some interest. So I think that concludes part two, the macro uh, news and views. So overall, in conclusion, I've got to say, because of the uh, short-term data on inflation and the spike up in interest rate expectations, things are, things are looking significantly worse now than they did a week ago, which is, um, I think we're probably going to go into a, a, a mild recession. I think uh, it's, it's, it's looking much more difficult now, isn't it? But things can change so quickly, we don't know. Uh, you know, you could get a much more uh, a much more attractive inflation reading in the next month or two or whatever. So these things can change quite rapidly, can't they? The key thing for me is as long as I'm in decent quality companies with sound balance sheets that are at reasonable valuations, that are trading okay, I've got nothing to worry about. And yeah, every now and again, the odd one will drop 10 or 20% or 30% on a profit warning. Deal with it. You know, that's the way the markets are. And, um, you know, if you're not comfortable with that risk reward, there's nothing wrong with sitting in cash, is there? Not risking your capital and earning a, a reasonable return on it. Fixed income as well is very interesting now, I think, um, for larger investors. And there are some uh, ways that smaller investors can still take advantage of bonds through trusts and um uh, there's, a, there's a thing being promoted at the moment about fractional ownership of bonds. I haven't really looked into that. It sounds a nice idea, but I think probably be at this stage, maybe I'd probably be more comfortable buying into a, some sort of bond fund, you know, where it's managed for you and you get a nice return on it. So, look, there are lots, lots of options, aren't there? We can all pick and choose the one that meets our own risk rewards. So good luck to you, whatever you decide. And try not to get too despondent about it. <coughs> Oops, excuse me, the, to try not to get too despondent about the small cap stuff. It will recover, but we don't know when. And it's very tough at the moment, and I think it's going to stay tough. I can't see any reason to expect, um, you know, a sustainable uh, bull market, given all the uh, all the negative factors out there. But, you know, that tends to be when markets start to form a base, doesn't it? Because... Uh, uh, when when you reach peak, peak despondency, um, that's when you get your bargains. So, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> we don't know what will happen, do we? So, okay, I'm waffling, so I'll stop. Thanks very much for listening, and I love your feedback, so do leave feedback. Thanks a lot, then. Bye!